Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Grateful for all the moms in the room. I'm especially grateful for my mom who regularly wakes up praying for me. That's, that's by God's grace that anything that we are, that we are. And, and specifically, there's a grace that has come through my own mom. Um, if you're visiting with us and out of town, we'd love to welcome you, especially today on this Mother's Day. You can fill out a card in the seat back in front of you and drop it in the offering plate. Uh, I'm sorry, offering box. Above the box that says give. Um, that's where you can leave those and we'll contact you in a respectful way. Um, this is a great day to celebrate the gift of motherhood. And I also want to acknowledge that I know for a lot of people, this is a day that's specifically hard. Um, for those of you who've lost a mom, or maybe you've longed to be a mom and it feels like something that's outside of your grasp, I just want you to know that this morning on this day, as we celebrate and honor mothers, God sees you. He knows exactly what you've suffered and what you long for. Um, God is the God who sees, and that's part of what we're going to see today in this passage. We've been in 1 Thessalonians. This is our fourth week, so we're starting chapter 2. That's where you can turn in your Bibles if you have a copy of God's Word. That's where we're going to begin reading in just a moment, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And he's going to describe in this chapter what it looks like to look at your work and say, it was not in vain. It was worthwhile what I did. And so for so many mothers in the room, I think that this is going to be a very important uh, word for us. Uh, someone once described mothering like stringing pearls without a knot. You keep handling things that are really precious and you can never see any progress and you can't see what, what's actually happening along the way. Um, but today we're going to look at what God's word describes as faithful work for them to come back to the work of planting this church and say, it was not in vain that we came here. It was not in vain that we poured out our lives among you. It was not in vain that we nurtured you like a mother and exhorted you like a father. And so let's ask God to speak to us today through this, his word, and then uh, we're going to pray and hopefully God will have something for us as we bring ourselves to his table. Let's read this together, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. It'll be on the screen. For you yourselves know, brother, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please men, man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattering, as you know, not, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, that our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. For you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, 
that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we look at these words that we believe come from you, that are authoritative to us, that we would both submit to them and be encouraged by them, that you would confront whatever needs to be confronted, and that you would confirm all that needs to be confirmed. That today, all of those who trust in you, that they would walk out of this place more confident in the task that you've called them to, whatever their vocation is, whatever you've called them to within the church and outside of these walls. Father, I pray that this word would be a blessing to us and they would receive it as a benediction over our lives. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Everything that's worth doing is going to cost you something. Everything that is worth doing is going to cost you something, and sometimes it's going to cost you something very great. Sometimes it'll be uh, uh, very little, but at the end of the day, most of us end the day with this conclusion and this question, was it worth it? Was it worth what I invested? Whatever you're doing with your vocation, was it worth it what I accomplished? Was it worth it in my home? Whatever you were toiling with, with your kids and in your household. Have you ever gotten to the day and determined like, hey, it was not worth it. That was all in vain. I have no idea. My wheels were spinning all day long and I have no, uh, no evidence of God accomplishing anything through my life. If you've ever gotten there and you wonder, how do you evaluate the work of your day Paul is going to describe how he evaluated the work that he accomplished in this church. He looked back on the work that was accomplished there, and he says this at the very beginning of this passage, it was not in vain. In other words, it was worthy work. We weren't just spinning our wheels. We were accomplishing something for God's glory and for his name and for the sake of the gospel being presented. In all of those places, what was accomplished was worthy. It was worthy of our lives. It was worthy of our faithfulness. And so Paul describes not only what faithful ministry looks like in this passage. So everybody who has any kind of vocational call to ministry or who work in the church, we should pay very close attention. Um, but he also describes some principles for us to evaluate what we're doing by them. Some of the principles that he applies to his ministry, we could apply to whatever it is that God has called you to do, whatever it is he's accomplishing through your life. And so we're going to see three things. First, what are vain works? What does it mean to look at our work and be in vain and say, that was not worthy of my time and attention? Then we're going to look at what faithful work looks like, and then we're going to look at their description of faithful workers. So those are the three places that we're heading, and this passage is going to summarize all of those. First, he starts with vain works, and in all of this, it's really interesting, before he describes what was worthy work, he gives just as much of a description what would have been in vain. We were not like this, we were not like this, we were not like this, and so we're going to look at what they were not first. Here's what would make your efforts be in vain. Vain works start in verse 3. We did not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. First thing that you see about these vain works is that they were motivated by deception. They have deceptive motivations. 
Um, they weren't from error. In other words, they weren't mistaken about what they were presenting to them. There's a lot of stuff that happens on Sunday mornings in places called churches that's very deceptive. I don't know if you know that. It wasn't, it wasn't rooted in impurity. They weren't trying to gain something from it that was impure. There was no attempt to deceive the people that they were presenting the gospel to. They weren't trying to manipulate them. The second way that we could participate in vain work is by people-pleasing. In verse 4, what does it say about their work? It was not to please men or man, but to please God. So a description of vain works here would be that they were not after people-pleasing. They weren't looking for man's approval. They weren't looking to manipulate people. Look, they weren't using words of flattery in verse 5. You know what flattery is? It's like a mild form of manipulation. It's not real influence. It's just you trying to get people to like you so that you can manipulate them. So the vain works category would be used in this way. You ever experienced something like that where you're like, I'm not sure where these compliments are coming from, but I know it's not any evidence of my own life? And you realize, like, this person is just trying to manipulate me? That is a terrible way to accomplish good, <laughs> worthy work. Um, but people use it all the time. Verse 5, it says that they were not were the pretext for greed. So they were not greedy. They weren't coming there to get what they could get out of it. They weren't seeking glory for themselves. They weren't demanding of glory. They were, there was no pretext of some gain. If you're seeking glory, constantly asking this question, how will this make me look? So listen, in all of our work, there's two ways to approach it. One, where you're seeking to protect some kind of image so that you can get glory from it or to reflect God's image so that he will gain glory from your life. Those are the two options for all of our life for all of our work. It's, it's seeking either to gain something that would be called greed or in, in order to give something that we've received, generosity. So if you aim to please others today, if that's you, it, listen, I am, a, I am so guilty of this. I love for people to be happy with me. It's like my favorite thing. I like that. It's okay, right? It's not the, it's not the worst thing, but you cannot aim at that as the main thing. If you aim at that as the main thing, here's what's gonna happen. You will not be any benefit to God or the people that you're aiming to please. Because whatever pleases them is going to be a constantly moving target that you will never be able to hit accurately for your life. You just won't, you'll miss it every single time. And you will be exhausted at the end of the day because they're never going to be always happy with whatever their, people's desires, I don't know if you know this, but they change. Over time, people want different things than what they wanted from you to before. But one thing is consistent. God wants our faithfulness, our attention towards him, our worship towards him. And that's never going to change. It's never going to change. You know, one of the most alarming parts of this vain work category and description of it is that a lot of, quote, ministry that happens in the church today are leaders who are both in error, trying to deceive, greedy, manipulative, maybe wanting to please others so that they can gain some kind of temporary glory that might come from it. And may all of our hearts be warned before we move forward. My own heart be warned May all of us who are in vocational ministry and some role in the church be warned by this. We're not above it. This is ultimately what it means to break the third commandment. You guys remember what the third commandment is? To take the Lord's name in vain, okay? It, means, it doesn't just mean that you would use God's name in some kind of slang way. It means that you would take on his name for yourself in some way that's seeking your own glory instead of displaying his glory. That's what it means to take on his name in vain. It's, it's, it, it, sometimes I see this with people that are saying, you know what, I prayed about it, I got a piece about it. 
And maybe that's not God that gave you that peace. Don't take on his name of Christianity in vain. Don't take on something in vain. In order for us to fear him, the way that we fear him is by saying, Lord, how can we represent you in the world, not use you so that we can get what we want? That's what it means to use his name for some kind of shameful game. And all of these things could be done in the name of Christ, deceiving, empty motivations, and attempt to please people. And Jesus is interested in the truth, not in our deception. He's interested in what would glorify his name, what would glor- not what would glorify us. And this list of things he's saying, we're not like this, is so important so that we can look at it and be warned that the energy we spend in the world can be used to worship God or to worship ourselves. Those are the two options. They knew that their primary audience was God. And so their audience wasn't the group of people they were proclaiming the gospel to. They were approved by God in verse four. And that's how you move from vain works into faithful works. To understand this one concept of the gospel that we don't stand before God trying to gain our approval. We stand before God receiving that approval from what Christ has done on our behalf. And so there's two ways that you can work in the world. You can work from your approval or you can work for it. The gospel would invite you to work from that place where God has stamped approved because of my work forever. And that's what leads to faithful work. Success is first defined by faithfulness to God. He was ultimately the judge. They were entrusted by God with this ministry. They were entrusted to worship him. There's four things you're going to see. First, they were entrusted by him. The gospel that they were proclaiming wasn't some news that they had come up with. It was something that God had given them as a message. It was something they had first received. And the best things that we have to give from God are things that we've received from him. We cannot export what we haven't imported. You guys know that? Like you can't go and be witnesses in the world if you haven't imported this message by God himself. You're gonna miss the mark. It will be in vain. If you're you're trying to export something that you have not first received, it's going to leave to vanity. Second thing is they did it to worship God. In contrast to what they would have done in vain to, to gain the approval of men, They were bringing these things before God. They were worshiping him and witnessed by him, witnessed him. Two times in this passage, it says that God was their witness. That means that they were living their life. They were walking in ministry with this one concept, this one banner, that God sees all of it, that ultimately it's his approval that we're working from, and it's his his, uh, honor that we're working towards. They didn't see God as their only audience, but they saw him as their primary audience. So that at the end of the day, If people were unhappy or happy with them, if they were chased out of town by an angry mob, or if they were gladly received, either way, it was God who they were serving. And the outpouring of that service benefited everyone else who would come to believe. You know what a difference it would make if we just knew this to be true, that we were witnessed by God, that we knew God as the God who sees? And I don't just mean like, some of us would be like, that makes me kind of nervous. He sees every thought. The only way that we can embrace this idea that God sees everything is that we stand before his throne judged by Christ's righteousness. And then we can stand before him, as Hebrews says, open and laid bare. There's nothing hidden from the one with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4.13. He sees everything. There's nothing that you're hiding from God that he would be surprised by, okay? 
Absolutely nothing. There's nothing that you've done in private that he has not seen. And then the flip side of that, for every mom who's done everything that, to get your family here today, I just want you to know that there's nothing that you've done that God has not seen. There's absolutely nothing that you've accomplished this morning. Every husband that's waiting for your wife to, to, to see that you took out the trash, you're waiting for some applause. Here's what I want you to know. There's nothing that you've accomplished in your household that God has not witnessed. And it's a really life-changing thing to know that you're not working for someone else's approval, but ultimately for God's. And he's already stamped approved. And you can work from that instead of for it. Now, the audience that they had, uh, they would have been looking at them and judging their life and saying, okay, how do we know that these people are legit? My imagination is just captivated by the reality that they start laying out, this is how you knew that we were legit. And he describes uh, how their work, what their work looked like. What does it mean to be God's faithful workers? Sorry, I missed something. All glory went to God. Verse 13, it says, they thanked God for what he accomplished. When he looks back on this city and said, you gladly received the word of God as if it was the words of God, not the words of men, he says, it's thank- I'm thanking God for that. So at the end of the day, they didn't say, hey, look, you know what? We came in there and preached our socks off. You know, it was amazing. (laughs) You guys just heard it, and you were like, no people have spoken like these people have spoken. It's just, no, at the end of the day, they said, God is the one to be thanked for how you received his word. He's the one to be praised for it. And so at the end of the day, whether we accept and embrace this gospel of Jesus Christ, or if, if we walk out here and it all sounded like uh, Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, wah, wah. Ultimately, at the end of the day, God is the one to be thanked and praised. So, what does these faithful workers look like? The first thing they look like, they were hardworking. They were not lazy. In fact, it said, you know that when we came to you, we weren't a burden to you. We were working night and day. They, they had other jobs that they were working, tent makers, all those things, so that they could faithfully proclaim the word of God to them. They didn't want their lives to be a burden to the people they were bringing the gospel to. So they were working hard, and this is really important because later we're going to see that there were people in the church, specifically in this church, one of the problems they addressed later is that there were certain people who thought, you know what? We'll just let the, the people who have uh, more than us take care of us. And they said, no, no we, we didn't act that way. And they're going to correct it later. There were people in the church who were saying, hey, there's wealthy and there's poor, and so we want the, the rich people to take care of them. And they said, no, we didn't act that way. And we're going to correct it in just a minute. They, they worked hard. They didn't come in there entitled. In fact, it says they could have made demands on the people because of their position as apostles. They could have come in there and said, okay, guys, you guys need to take care of us. But they didn't. They didn't come with a sense of entitlement. They came there to serve. They were hardworking. Then they were bold in conflict. Look in verse 2. They were willing to endure suffering and trials in the midst of proclaiming this. They were enduring people, an angry mob running them out of town, getting thrown in prison in Philippi. and all of those places, they were laying out what an example of truly trusting in Jesus, what it looked like. And so the people that would hear this word, they weren't confused. They weren't confused when hard things came. They weren't like, listen, I've done all these things for God. How could this happen to me? The people that brought the message to them were suffering for the sake of the message. They were boldly uh, uh, proclaiming and appealing and speaking the truth of God in the midst of this congregation so that when they start getting persecuted for it, they're not confused. Like, what does this mean? Their leaders 
laid out this example for them. They were honorable in conduct. There was nothing that they did that was different on the stage and in their lives daily. They had integrity. That means that they weren't pretending to be something other than who they are. They were honorable in conduct. And then later we're going to see that they had rich relationships. This is part of how you know that these people had integrity because they didn't just get up and preach. They were really close to them. They had rich relationships. Look at verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. (laughs) Now, the way that they describe this church after being there for like three weeks and getting run out of town is like an affectionate mother, a loving father. Their relationship with the church wasn't just a stage presentation of the gospel. They were saying, hey, you can know our very lives. Come and live with us. Inspect our lives. Let us live together and live out the gospel. It wasn't just words. It was proximity. They were able to get close to these people, and they were saying, you know what? We've, you know, and God is witness, that we lived in an honorable way. You know how? Because we had rich relationships with you. And there's two ways that he describes it. First, as, uh, as mothers and then as fathers. Look, we do not need more famous pastors today. We need faithful pastors who will allow people to get close enough to be disappointed, to wonder how in the world God could use such as them, We need people like that, that we can get close enough to so that we can know what it means to walk with Jesus. We don't need heroes. We need spiritual mothers and fathers. And that's what it describes in this passage. Spiritual heroes who are approaching them just like a nurturing mother. That's the the reality that we need. Look at verse 7. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. We need people who are demonstrating the gospel and the gospel that pours itself out rich in love and kindness and gentleness like a nursing mother. These are men describing themselves like this, okay? They were describing themselves like a nurturing mother. We need that kind of gentleness within the church, relationships that would reflect the most intimate relationship within the home, a mother with a child, nursing a child. The closest view of this I've ever had is my wife. Her love for our children is both fierce and tender, so full of compassion, so full of mercy for them, so longing for them to be nurtured into who they're becoming. We need women like that in this church. We need men that are so committed and covenant bond with other people so that in their future, you feel committed to wherever they land five years from now. Listen, Every mother is always going to be a mother. If you've taken on that task through adoption or through birth, when you take a child into your arms and say, this is mine, there's never a point as long as that child is living and as long as you're breathing when you're not concerned for their future. Longing and loving them and hoping for them and saying, I want good things for you. And even if it feels overbearing at times, look, I promise you that mother, she wants good things for you. She longs to nurture something in you that you can't even see and hope for yourself. We need those kind of people that are affectionately desirous for us. That's the kind of love that Christ is hoping to display through us, his church. That we'd look at each other and say, our hearts were just overwhelmed with affectionate desire for one another. That we would just long for each other and love each other in those kind of 
relationships and friendships. And then he moves on from mother to like a father. Look, anybody who knows what a mother and father is like, look, I'm, this isn't sexist. There's just some differences in the gender, okay? The mother's nurturing and the father's like, come on now, let's go. It, they exhorted them like a father with his children, calling you up to something and saying, look, there's more that I want for you that you could be that you wouldn't imagine for yourself. You can do better than this. They encouraged and exhorted and charged them. Those are three words that sound different than nurturing and gentleness, doesn't it? Sounds really different. But he said, like, not only were we like a mother with you, we also were like a father who was saying, come on now, let's go. They were rich in relationships and all of that, the charge that they gave, the exhortation that they gave was undergirded by this affection and desire for them and for their future. And one thing I know about fatherhood, it does not look glamorous most of the time. Most of what you do is unnoticed. Most of the provisions that you make will never be thanked. And in all of it, he's saying, this is what we were like with you. And this is what it looks like to be in faithful ministry within the church. Look, the church needs more spiritual mothers and fathers. And some of you are like, look, I don't know if I can even be like a spiritual sibling to some people. <laughs> but if you go young enough, I guarantee you, you could be a spiritual mother to someone if you're walking with Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this, verse 15, for you have countless guides in Christ. You have countless guides. You do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel I urge you then, verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. In other words, he's saying, look, you got a lot of spiritual guides out there, but you can't follow a father on Instagram. You just can't. That's not the relationship of a father. You can't follow him on TikTok. You can't follow him on Twitter or on Facebook. God is looking to make us into a company of spiritual mothers and fathers. There's a lot of guides. There's a lot of guides out there, but there's not a lot of fathers and there's not a lot of mothers. And that's what's absent so much in our culture, in our city, in this place. We need people to step up and step into those rich relationships that the gospel invites us into that would be so affectionately desirous of one another that we would not only nurture one another in gentleness, but we would exhort one another and charge one another like spiritual fathers and mothers. That's what he wants for this body. That's what he wants for the church. That's how Paul was able to look back on his ministry and say it worked. It was not in vain. It wasn't just the results of the ministry. It was how he did it. It was who he was. And for us, we gain not only his example, we bring this charge. And so I want to ask you this question today. In conclusion, this is my question for you. Who are you working for? Who are you working for? At the end of the day, are you working for yourself are you working for God and his promises and out of this place? Are you working for your approval or are you working from it? Because it will make all the distance, it will make all the difference in the world. If you've received the gospel of Jesus Christ, there has been a stamped approval. You can stand before God as the God who witnesses your life, every deed, every thought, every action. 
And you can stand with him in confidence that Christ has suffered in your place for sins, that the penalty has been paid, and that he stamped righteousness over your life. It wasn't something you could earn. It's only something you can receive. And if you're working from that place, it will change everything. That's what transforms all of your work, all of your vocation, all of the love that you pour out towards other people from being in vain, seeking your own glory, seeking your own accomplishments, seeking your own success, or seeking God's glory and honor and worship. Those are the two options, and that's what makes the difference. That's the only thing that makes the difference. That you would stand before him trusting only in the cross of Jesus Christ. And what that will look like for us as a people is that we live both faithful work and as faithful workers in his kingdom so that at the end of the day, we can look back on it and say, you know what, I don't have to wonder because I lived it towards God and not towards my own name, and not towards my own glory, and not for anybody else's benefit. It was ultimately for God's, and everyone benefits from that. Those are the two options. Who are you working for? So, in light of this, I want to ask you to do a couple of things. I want you to evaluate first yourself and pray for your leaders so that one day we could look back on this day and say, you know what, it wasn't in vain all that we poured out, all that we accomplished, all that God did, it was him that we have to thank. It wasn't for any human being that came here and did things. It's God ultimately who we have to thank. So who are you working for? Are you working for or from your approval? That's the question I want to leave us with. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today, and I pray that in this congregation that you would raise up spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers for the sake of your name. I pray that you'd make yourself known today like an affectionate mother and and an encouraging father through the people in this place. That your word would not only be heard, but it would be gladly received, not as the words of men, but as the word that comes from you, Lord. I pray that those who walk about in insecurity and in vanity, they would set aside all the vain things that maybe would charm us for your ultimate approval and grace. As we sing songs about the gospel and rejoice once again that you did what we could not do, you accomplished what we could not accomplish, and you're still accomplishing things through the means of this, your people, that we couldn't do on our own. And so, Father, we entrust ourselves to you as you entrust the gospel to us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.